Today, we're talking about this absolutely wild road rage incident that led to a man getting 40 criminal charges, and now there's video. You've got conflicting reports about this Dave Chappelle Israel controversy. You might not be able to get your medication soon because we're seeing mass closures of pharmacies. The House Speaker dumpster fire is somehow becoming more dumpster fiery. You've got people freaking out about this Taylor Swift Jackson Mahomes situation. And we've got a new free speech war and debate. We're talking about all that and so much more on today's brand new Philip DeFranco show. You daily dive into the news, all made possible by beautiful bastards like you who buy awesome gear for yourself over at beautifulbastard.com. You've got premium shirts, crewnecks, hoodies, crops, hats, jackets, amazing smelling candles, and way more. We got a lot of news we got to break down today, so let's just jump into it. Starting with, it is scary when you really think about it, who's allowed to legally drive? And this new dash cam footage just solidifies it for me. Right, and while the video is new, the story is actually old. It took place back in June when Portland had its Rose Festival Grand Floral Parade, which is basically the most wholesome event you could imagine. But for 42-year-old Sidney Metcham, all he sees at the time are closed interstate exits, traffic, blocking his path, this guy goes zero to 100. And I'm not talking miles per hour. He loses his damn mind. They got it all blocked out. The light center exit, the convention center exit, every motherfucking exit. You With him then taking his silver Chevy Avalanche and just hitting the gas. With him plowing through the first set of barricades onto a parade route where thousands of people are gathered, sending children and clowns alike into a panic scramble for cover. You know, he's just blasting the truck stereo. And soon enough, a police motorcycle pulls in front of him and he orders him to stop, but that's not where it ends. Instead, Metchum accelerates saying, I'm trying to get out of here. So he continues on. He blows through more chairs and barricades, ignoring another cop who tries to stop him at an intersection. With eventually, I guess, his blood pressure lowering enough for him to take a breath and pull over, at which point he was arrested. And all of that leading to the cops throwing some 40 criminal charges and two dozen traffic violations at this genius, and he's also been in jail ever since then. That's because the judge actually denied him bail. And the only good thing that we can say about the situation is that luckily, nobody was injured. Also, I gotta say, imagine being this fucking psychopath and being like, yeah, I should have a dash cam that also films me. Like, do you not know you? Like, my man dropped hundreds of dollars to film evidence against himself in 4K. And then, Dave Chappelle has found himself in a new controversy in 2023 is wild, throws us another curveball it doesn't have to do with trans people. Instead, it's being reported that he caused a stir after bringing up Israel and Palestine during a show at TD Garden in Boston. So according to the Wall Street Journal, Chappelle first condemned the attack on Israel carried out by Hamas, but then slammed Israel's bombing of Gaza, which he called war crime. But all this had to come up when Chappelle said he didn't think that students should lose opportunities like job offers for supporting Palestinians. And according to reports, his remarks caused some divide, one person allegedly shouting for him to shut up, and Chappelle reportedly went on to criticize the Israeli government for cutting off water supplies to Gaza, saying it is killing innocent people. So with all that, some audience members told the Wall Street Journal that people in the crowd cheered free Palestine, while others said, what about Hamas? Some also apparently getting up and leaving. Now, as far as his thoughts on the situation, a spokesperson for Chappelle told the Wall Street Journal that the comedian, quote, denies being in Boston that night, though, if you go to the TD Gardens website, you can see that he had shows for October 19th and 20th, with it right now also not being video of this, but also the site highlights that his show was a phone-free zone. Right? If you go to see Chappelle, you usually gotta lock up your phone, though. People always have a way to kind of get those through. You also, with this, have some outlets pointing to a Facebook status made by one person who claimed they attended the show, with that person alleging that in addition to people saying go Palestine, some said go Hamas, writing that some Jewish people walked out of the show because the environment felt unsafe to them. But also with that, it is worth noting that it's unclear if that Facebook status has been verified, especially because also unverified. You have people in the Dave Chappelle subreddit saying things like, I was there, there wasn't a big walkout. One person yelled, shut the fuck up at Dave, and then allegedly walked out. That's it. The crowd wasn't yelling go Hamas or free Palestine, claiming it was actually a very poignant moment of the show where Dave was talking about what a mess the entire Israel-Palestine 
situation is. Another claiming I was there, no one walked out. As another comment said, one person yelled, shut the fuck up, and Dave lit him up while everyone cheered. No one walked out, mostly everyone was cheering what Dave was saying. Yeah, overall, just a, a genuinely weird situation because there's all these different claims. Also, one of the claims is Dave Chappelle's person saying he wasn't even there. But yeah, with all that said, I really love to know your opinions on this. And then, so in business and entertainment news, we should talk about TwitchCon because it happened over the weekend. And with that, Twitch made a handful of announcements with one major one being that it is now against the off-service conduct policy to either dox or swat someone. So those rules are now in effect. And obviously, the timing of all this is incredibly notable because in addition to this being a generally growing problem, we've seen creators like Sniperwolf posting an Instagram story from outside of Jack's film's house. And there, for about a week, YouTube did nothing despite the growing backlash. That is, at least, until Friday when the team YouTube Twitter account announced that the monetization of Sniperwolf's channel had been temporarily suspended. Though YouTube also took the opportunity to kind of talk about both sides, specifically condemning behavior on both sides that they didn't want to see, which did not land well with a lot of people, including myself. It felt like a different, lesser version than, you know, we don't support assaulting people, but also, like, he called her a thief a bunch. And granted, he also provided evidence to try and back up his argument, and it was all an effort to make us enforce the rules, but, like, he was being mean about it. Now, for her part, Sniperwolf issued an apology. Some liked it. Others felt like it was chat GPT. And then also others in the situation took issue with the temporary monetization suspension, with their argument being that is not a severe enough consequence for putting another YouTuber's safety at risk, especially as some have accused her of trying to get around all this, right? Accusing her of taking videos from her currently demonetized main channel and uploading them to a separate channel that still has monetization on. Right? So that controversy is still yet to completely die down. And now, with Twitch adding official policies against doxing amid all this, you had people saying things like, Twitch acted on the Jax Films doxing incident more than YouTube did. And hold the L, YouTube. But also, in creator and entertainment news, we should mention that Twitch made another exciting announcement, and that is they have expanded options for simulcasting. Because previously, Twitch streamers could only simulcast to social media platforms like Instagram and TikTok. But now creators can simulcast to any streaming service, with Twitch saying, we believe that you should have the freedom to decide which services you want to live stream on. And so with that, we've seen this celebrated by a ton of creators. Or some noting how streamers like Ninja have really taken advantage of simulcasting and doing well on multiple platforms. Big creators and streamers like Moist Critical saying he plans to take advantage of this himself. A very rare instance where Twitch does something that I can't help but applaud and really appreciate. I do think there probably is a case to be made that this is a strong move for Twitch in order to continue to grow and stay on top. But regardless, it is by far the best move for streamers. And personally, I think even if I never get into streaming, I like this decision. Because as time has gone on, it feels like more and more of the internet has become like these walled gardens. You can only get this certain thing here and you only get this certain thing there. And I think part of the thing that hopefully comes from creators being able to post anywhere, especially even streaming at the same time, is that the platforms have to focus on being the best version of itself. Or you create the best experience for both the creator and the viewer, then you should hopefully win. And then let's talk about this Taylor Swift, Jackson Mahomes situation that people are sounding off on. Right, so yesterday, Taylor Swift was at the Chiefs game supporting Travis Kelsey, right? She was sitting in one of the VIP boxes at the stadium. Next to her, as expected, you had Brittany Mahomes, wife of Patrick Mahomes, who's the Chiefs quarterback. And then behind them, you had Jackson Mahomes, the brother of Patrick, who initially a lot of people didn't like because they thought that his TikToks were annoying and cringy. But also the key thing is that he was then charged earlier this year with three felony counts of aggravated sexual battery and a misdemeanor count of battery. Right, with Jackson accused of forcibly kissing a restaurant owner who reportedly had to close a restaurant after the incident because of all the bad publicity associated with the case. And so with all that, you had a lot of people pissed off that Jackson and Taylor were in the VIP box together. But notably, not everyone is mad at the same person or entity. Or you had some blaming the NFL and security saying things like, Chief security should be ashamed for letting Jackson Mahomes in the same room as Taylor Swift. As well as the fact that the NFL or the Chiefs allow that scumbag Jackson Mahomes to be in VIP seating and receive VIP treatment as deplorable and pathetic. He should be nowhere near anyone in that suite, including Taylor Swift. Meanwhile, you had some saying Travis Kelsey shouldn't have let this happen, saying if he really wanted to protect Taylor, he'd make 
make sure Jackson never gets close to her again. But then you also had others blaming Taylor Swift herself. Right in that, because it looks like she interacted and celebrated with him during the game, which has resulted in people saying things like, Jackson Mahomes sexually assaulted a woman. It's on camera and Britney defended him. I hope all Swifties see why Taylor's celebrations today aren't that cute. As well as it's actually a shame as a Taylor Swift fan to see her who famously sued a man for groping her and one interacting with Jackson Mahomes. Right now they're saying that as a feminist and someone who has spoken out as a victim of sexual assault and someone who at her concert talking about this time in her life says like, I can't imagine what it would be like if people didn't believe me. That it feels wrong to them for her to be casually chilling with an alleged assaulter. But with that, some have also come to her defense questioning if she's even aware of the allegations. Some saying that it looks like she's in the Mahomes family box. Or saying she probably had no say in what family members showed up. But with all that, I, I gotta pass the question off to you. What are your thoughts here? And also, I'm very interested to see if anyone ends up commenting on it, like any of the people involved. And then, y'all know that I love football, but in reality, I just love sports. So thank you, Underdog Fantasy, not only for sponsoring today's show, but also adding to more excitement to sports for me. Especially because Underdog's the easiest way to play fantasy sports, not just with football, but you can make picks on baseball, basketball, UFC, and more. And it's simple. You pick whether your favorite player's stats will be higher or lower, and you can make big money, not just bragging rights. You can make your own entry with as few as two picks and three times your money, or go bigger to win up to 20 times. And with that, tomorrow's a big day because it marks the first day of the new NBA season. And to celebrate, Underdog's giving all users a special free pick. Do you think LeBron James can get more than one point? All he needs to do is have one point to win. Personally, I'm pairing my free pick with Nikola Jokic to get higher than 26.5 points. And if it hits, I'll three times my money. And y'all, Underdog's Pick'em games are available in 30 plus states, including California, Texas, and even Canada. So what are you waiting for? Especially because I've got a special hookup. For a limited time, Underdog is offering new users a $500 deposit match. That's right. $500. All you have to do is click the link down below or download the app via the App Store and use code DeFranco. That's Underdog Fantasy promo code DeFranco for a first deposit match worth up to $500. And it makes all the games even more interesting for me. So rep your team, rep your faves, and make your own picks with Underdog. And then, y'all, this movement to get a new house speaker has somehow become even more of a dumpster fire, which is genuinely impressive because our expectations were so low. Right where we last left things, Jim Jordan had just failed the second vote to elect him as speaker, winning even less support than he did the first time. And after that, he flip-flopped a few times on whether he move towards a third ballot before trying to shore up more support, with him ultimately deciding to do his Jim Jordan thing, refuse to see the truth, and just go forward with it, holding another vote on Friday where he lost even more support, with then five more Republicans who voted for Jordan in the second round defecting in the third and voting against him. So just with that, not a great look, but as if that wasn't enough rejection for Jordan, shortly after the third vote, Republicans held a closed-door meeting where they said, yeah, actually, we don't want you to be speaker anymore, with him voting 112 to 86 in a secret ballot to revoke Jordan's nomination. So just one week after they gave him the nomination in the first first place, Republicans were once again going, who the hell's going to be our speaker? And so now for the third time in less than two weeks, the party has to nominate someone who's probably just going to lose the vote on the floor anyway. At least if, you know, nothing else changes. And as far as what happens next, you have nine members from the party now throwing their hat in the ring to be nominated. And those nine candidates will have a chance to make their pitch to the rest of the party today, with the conference set to vote tomorrow to select yet another nominee to lead the divided caucus. But again, it's really unclear if any of those nine members will be able to, for some reason, overcome the same obstacles that we saw with Jordan and Steve Scalise. Because also, a reminder, the only reason McCarthy even became speaker in the first place is he gave concessions to the far-right members of the party that they then used to oust him later. And so, you know, I think there is a genuine question in a situation this unprecedented, how do you get past it? Especially, as a reminder, the only reason a few weeks ago that the government didn't shut down is they kicked the can down the road for 45 days. Right? There is a countdown currently set for November 17th. What happens not only if there is a government shutdown, but there is a government shutdown without a Speaker of the House.
house. And unfortunately, that is a question we may actually get an answer to. And then, you know, we're currently seeing a growing number of Republican presidential candidates threatening foreign students who have been engaging in wide-ranging acts of protest that we've seen on college campuses across America, with notably numerous candidates now saying that foreign nationals who show support for Palestine or criticize Israel's military response should have their student visas revoked and be deported. And this, including Trump, who said last week that if he's elected president again, that he would take away student visas of, quote, radical anti-American and anti-Semitic foreigners. Ron DeSantis also making similar comments supporting the deportation of international students who he thinks are supportive of Hamas, saying you don't have a right to be here on a visa, you don't have a right to be studying in the United States. And the same day he made those comments, Senator Tim Scott did a radio interview where he discussed student protests and said, if any of those students on college campuses are foreign nationals on a visa, they should be sent back to their country. Right? And while these stances aren't surprising within the broader scope of the GOP presidential field, where candidates have increasingly tried to stake out hardliner takes on Muslim immigrants and support for Israel, at the same time, many experts say that this latest stance that candidates have taken up in foreign students and pro-Palestine sentiments actually goes against one of the candidates' most prominent platforms, free speech. Right? Many of these Republicans have long positioned themselves as defenders of the First Amendment and even accused many colleges and universities of censoring conservative free speech. We have many scholars saying this is exactly what they themselves are now doing, with David Cole, the national legal director of the ACLU, telling the Washington Post, the First Amendment protects the right to speak of all people who live in this country, whether they're here as citizens, whether they're here as foreign nationals, whether they're students, whether they're visitors. And adding, the First Amendment prohibits the government from punishing someone for their speech or their association, and so I think they're non-starters. And a really key thing on this topic is that none of those three candidates' campaigns responded to the Post questions about how they would reconcile their proposals with free speech protections or how they would determine which students are anti-Israel slash pro-Hamas protesters. And so with all that, you have experts raising red flags about free speech, with people like Benjamin Johnson, the executive director of the nonpartisan American Immigrations Lawyers Association, saying he certainly wouldn't trust the candidates as the judge and jury on what constitutes inappropriate protesting. And going on to say that these stances basically read as no one is allowed to disagree with the United States' position on Israel or Israel itself. And adding, you can be both pro-Israel and pro the protection of innocent people in Gaza. And before the Republican Party goes down the road of trying to punish people for simply disagreeing with popular opinion, they should check themselves. Now, all that said, some Republican analysts have speculated that this is all just big talk and that these candidates are just trying to pander to their base that is very supportive of Israel, especially the evangelical Christian base, with one GOP pollster saying he doesn't think they would actually follow through here because they would immediately be hit with legal challenges. But also a really key thing is that we're starting to see some top Republicans who are already in Congress repeating these stances. And while in these stances, a lot of them reference Hamas, there's a lot of concern there because a lot of people have been equating Hamas with just Gazans, right? Just blanket grouping. There's also, notably with this, further legal questions about how politicians who are calling for these actions even plan to implement them. But ultimately, that is where we are. And I mean, for the foreseeable future, this will continue to be a developing situation. So we'll have our eyes on it. And then you may not actually be able to get the drugs that you need soon, depending on where you live. And that's because CVS, Walgreens, and Rite Aid, which filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy last week, have signaled plans over the past two years to shutter more than 1,500 stores. With this due to a bunch of factors, including increased competition, changing consumer behaviors, opioid lawsuits, retail crime, staffing shortages, and minimal store investment. And all of that in addition to a decline in pandemic-era sales of products like COVID vaccines and at-home test kits, or that have been very profitable for them. You know, some people are going to downplay this, saying, you know, that 1,500 is not actually that much when you consider there's roughly 64,000 pharmacies in the U.S. But a really key thing here is that the first places to go are typically in rural or low-income areas that need drugstores the most. So with their one and only pharmacy packing up and leaving, many communities are left with nowhere to buy essential medicine for miles. And with that, a professor at USC who studies the topic estimating that about one in four neighborhoods across the country are so-called pharmacy deserts. And even when there is a pharmacy nearby, that doesn't mean that it's going to be affordable, take your insurance, or offer the drug that you need. And that's on top of the fact that these are the same places that tend to have the highest rates of things like diabetes, high blood pressure, asthma, and mental illness. And studies have shown that pharmacy access directly affects how closely people adhere to medication regimes set out by their doctors. And then to make a bad situation worse, many of these places are also food deserts, meaning that they have limited access to healthy and affordable food, often because supermarket chains don't find it profitable to sell there. Now, a big thing to note with this is that not all the gaps are being left 
left completely unfilled, right? Instead, we're seeing retail giants like Amazon and Walmart having stepped in with their own pharmaceutical and medical treatment businesses sold at a lower price and often delivered. Though also notably there, you have big pharmacy chains fighting back against that by scooping up insurance companies, then steering policyholders back through their doors. Right? Like for example, Aetna patients get a better deal if they shop at CVS, which acquired the insurer in 2018. And it's basically the same setup between Blue Cross Blue Shield and Walgreens. But then also a casualty of that war is the small independent drugstores that collectively make up more locations than any single brand at over 19,000. But the public health expert at Johns Hopkins saying, this landscape of vertical integration of businesses across different services has put pharmacies who cannot participate at a huge disadvantage. But that also isn't gonna change because for the bigger players in this game, this is just the normal competitive churn of capitalism. Some win, some lose, and you use your size. But with all that said, I'd love to know your thoughts on this, especially if you're in one of these areas being affected. And then let's talk about yesterday, today, where we take a look back at the last show, which was 28 minutes. We covered a lot of news and we dive into those comments to see what stories y'all were talking about, what your opinions were, your feelings, your experiences sometimes. And there, there was actually a lot of conversation about Representative Ro Khanna coming on the show. Some saying thank you, saying his five point plan really gives me hope that we can turn this country around. This piece gave me a much needed morale boost for our country. Which I will say, honestly, uh, as a cynic who doesn't believe that uh, a lot of change can actually happen, that was nice to hear. I'm aware that 95% of this show is like, hey, bad things are happening and no one's being held accountable. So it was a nice, unique feeling to see that I could spark something that was remotely positive. Also with the conversation around politicians, we had people saying things like, politicians should be paid the median income of the people they represent. So that would motivate them to turn their attention to all the people they are leaving behind by being in big money's pockets. And while that was a relatively popular comment, I don't think that's actually how it would play out. Or if they make even less money, they're probably more inclined to do kind of shady shit or be in big money's pocket. Or you might actually make them more susceptible to corruption. Though I do like the idea that if the government shuts down, they also lose their benefits and support. Also, in those comments, we saw, of course, people sounding off on the Sniper Wolf doxing situation, which I guess first thing I got to do is I have to, one, admit that I was wrong. I said I did not think that YouTube was actually going to do something. And while people are out there debating the effectiveness or if it's enough, blah, 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 you know, technically they did a thing. So I got to admit, I was wrong. You also had people saying, you know, this goes beyond just the Jack's film situation, saying there's so much sketchy stuff on our channel that's being discovered each day that YouTube needs to know that everybody from people on Twitter to large creators on YouTube want answers. Others saying the Sniper Wolf situation would be completely different if the roles were reversed, saying everyone deserves to feel safe in their home. She's insane. And then finally, there was a good chunk of conversation happening around the cops claiming defamation because of that guy posting body cam footage to YouTube. With y'all saying things like, I love how holding corrupt police accountable for their own actions is always, always met with, wow, wow, you can't hold me accountable. Wow, I'm a police officer. And a legal attack for invasion of privacy despite it all happening in public and being caught on body cam, but holding them accountable is bullying the poor police officers who can arrest you on absolutely nothing. Others saying the two policemen should be more concerned about doing their job properly and not how they are seen. Saying they are seen as inept and prone to holding grudges. I can tell them that right now. As well as cops going on a power trip to try and find something to charge a teenager with and then getting defensive when it's pointed out that he allegedly beat his wife is the most cop behavior imaginable. Disgusting. And that is where your daily dive into the news is going to end. But for more news you need to know, of course, I got you covered right here. You can click or tap or I got links in the description as always. Or if you're all caught up, just remember, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you right back here for more news tomorrow.